You have to dance beautifully in the box that you are comfortable dancing in. My box was to be extremely ambitious within the sport of basketball. Your box, it's different than mine. Everybody has their own. It's your job to try to perfect it and make it as beautiful of a canvas as you can make it. And if you have done that, then you have lived a successful life. You have lived with mama mentality. Number 24. Kobe. Kobe. Were you one of the people who would shoot the uh, Come on, crumbled man. paper I mean, into the trash wasn't? can? <laughs> who Kobe. wasn't, man? Like, it's amazing. It's amazing how one name, right? You know, yeah. it just, it means so much. I heard younger kids say Steph. Oh, no. <laughs> there's only one, there's only one Kobe. No, yep. that's it, man. Yeah, Black he, Mamba, Kobe Bean Bryant. That's right. So... This is um, episode number 24, um, and this is a continuation of episode number 23, but on 24, we're talking all about the Mamba mentality. Right. We're going to bring you Kobe's life, the totality of it, and how did that Mamba mentality get started? Where what did it come what from? are the things in his life that, that fostered the creation of the Mamba mentality and the great, great success, the winning on the court? The unbelievable work ethic. All his ventures off the court from the animated short where he won the Academy Award, his book series, his detail TV series on ESPN Plus. His, his will to win. The Mamba Academy dedicated to young women playing basketball. Of course, his, his beautiful and badass family, his four daughters, his wife. Kobe was, was more than just an athlete. Oh yeah. But at the time when he during his playing career, he was the epitome of a professional athlete, someone who wanted to win so bad, win at all costs. Ultimately, that's in my eyes, that's what the Mamba mentality represents. Winning at all costs. That's right. What was the uh the famous quote? Friends hang sometimes, banners hang forever. There it is. It's the Mamba mentality. Yeah. So he it, it, people have come out and said, he, and he said it himself, he cared more about winning than making friends and being a good teammate. Yeah. And ultimately, you've heard it if you watched any sports center, been on Twitter, Instagram, listen to any podcast. Every single player respected Kobe, adored Kobe, looked up to Kobe. Loved Kobe. And if he has the respect of his teammates, he should have the respect of the fan. And I know he was a very... Um, polarizing player during his during his prime for sure especially in the early years with Shaq yeah um, yeah but you know what was great and you mentioned it you mentioned this you know about the team teammate not not the greatest teammate or, or at even the the cost of being a great teammate and here's what's interesting about that though right like Kobe was a guy first off that was always the hardest working teammate, okay? So even if he wasn't very nice to you... He's right? not warm and fuzzy. Right? I mean, you have to respect this guy. Everybody respects the first guy in the office, you know what I mean? Last, and, last and one to leave. Especially if he's also the last guy to leave. I mean, you, right, mad respect for that guy. So right there, there wasn't going to be much of a challenge. But then to take it a step further, he was that guy that was like, okay, look, it's not like I'm just trying to get all the glory. I'm just not trying to be the shot maker. I'm going to do it on both ends, right? I'm taking the other team's best player. 
I'm locking him down, okay? And then I'm taking the ball on my own. One on five. And I'm going to win this game, right? Y'all don't even worry about it. It's on me. And, like, that's special. That's different. That's different because there's a lot of guys that want the glory. They don't necessarily want to put in all the work required and they don't want earn all the, that. They won't. They don't want all the weight on their shoulders. They don't want it. Kobe want is it. like Kobe wants it all. He wanted to trade away all all, the, all his teammates if he could. Well, I mean, if that's what was necessary, mm-hmm. a lot like Michael Jordan, a lot in like a way, Mike. yeah, for and sure. I know he modeled his game a lot like Mike. I mm-hmm. think the one different thing, and we may have talked about this in the last one, is Kobe had a game plan from day one. You see this guy at 17 in his high school gymnasium, sunglasses on the, on the top of his head or on his forehead, saying, I'm taking my talent to the NBA. Wow. Isn't that something? I didn't realize that. he. And then LeBron, you know, he had the decision. He said, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. Right. I don't know. if That was a little homage to Kobe at 17. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah. And, I mean, Kobe Bryant set a standard – that I think in some ways probably even maybe surpassed Mike in the sense that he was not only a, a, a guy that had that dominant personality that was willing to you know, put it all on him. He was a team first guy at his core. Unlike Mike where for me, when I saw him play and I, I guess felt his energy in my mind at the time, as a child, I saw a person that was more doing it for Mike, you know, for Mike's legacy, for, you know, Mike's, his glory, right? Whereas I feel like Kobe was a guy that, yeah, you know, he took the responsibility, right? But he was doing it for the team. I truly believe that in his his mind, each one of the, each time he took that game-winning shot, make or miss, that he believed that he was the best man for the job. Yeah. And he had proven it. I th- and I like what you're saying. I think Kobe also expected his teammates to, to play at a 10 out of 10 and work out and have that work ethic like Kobe at a 10 out of 10. And that's one of the reasons why he got into a Shaq a lot because mm-hmm. he felt like Shaq wasn't working as hard as, that's right. as, as himself. Yeah, well, okay, so I love that point you're making. And... Mike definitely held his teammates to a high standard. I mean, you remember the whole deal where he, he got into the brawl with Steve Kerr. Um, and it's actually, it's well documented that he called out teammates, you know, and, and he, he definitely held everyone to a certain standard. But what I'm referring to, though, is that, you know, Kobe, when, like, he wanted to win for L.A. just as much as he wanted to win for Kobe, Right. Like that's one of the reasons why he was so beloved by the city, because I think the people here really felt that. Like I really felt like they saw a guy that wasn't just this superhero like figure that was, you know, all about winning and, you know, making Kobe's life better and making building Kobe's brand and and all of that. I mean, of course, that was part of it. But they also saw a guy that was like. I want to do the best I can for this franchise. I want to do the best I can for this city. I, I want, want to do, do the, the best be- I can for this city. For the people of this city. For all the types of people. Yes. And, and, and people, I think they really felt that with they him. They embraced him and he embraced them. Mm-hmm. And 
We don't see, we're not going to see that anymore. Are we going to see another player play for the same franchise and same city for 20 years? No, we're not. And, and I, I mean, if you think about it with, with Michael Jordan, maybe um, Steph Curry, I just, just because we're, we're, you know, we're on this comparison, maybe Steph Curry, but we're on this comparison. I'm like, I mean, you know, Mike, you know, I don't want to say he abandoned the team, but, you know, he, he, he left the team for a couple of years. He had every reason to do so. You know, I know he was going through a lot of, you know, personal struggles. But, you know, on the latter end of, of his career, you know, he, he had that disagreement with the owner. You know, he left the team and went to the Wizards. And, well, and that's well, something that, you know, is always going to be a part of that legacy. Yeah, but, I mean, MJ's still the GOAT. But yeah, you're right. Kobe Bryant, 20 years with the Lakers. In a lot of ways, he followed in MJ's footsteps, and in a lot of ways, he he did it his own way. That's right. And yeah. speaking of making teammates better, even though people don't think of Kobe as a great teammate, can we take a look at the? Well, I guess we'll get it to it chronological order, but that 2009 2010 team when they won the title. Exactly. Look at these the guys in that team: Ron Artest, Lamar Odom. Like, the second best player on that team was Pau Gasol. Exactly. Great player at the time, but if you're thinking about nowadays or, or even back to Shaq and Kobe, mm-hmm. usually you have these, these yeah. two, at least these two top 10 players in the league or maybe top th- you have three of the top you know, 20, 25 players in the league when you're winning a championship. He's out there giving the assist to Ron Artest to hit the game-winning shot in a, in a what was it, a game seven um, against the Celtics. So this guy elevated the the game of his teammates. Uh, he absolutely did. And and what what we what we saw over that ten year stretch, you know, between the time he won that first championship and that and that last championship was a a complete evolution, you know, from a a boy to a man, you know, and, and someone that could lead That's his the men beauty of to victory. Of, of how Kobe and Bryant relates to our lives because you're I got to see the tail end of Jordan's career. I got to see the, the, the that second three peat um, when I was younger, and then I got, but I got to see all of Kobe. And mm-hmm. um, when I was younger, my, my initial memories of basketball always around the TV watching like the Michael Jordan games. Maybe it was it's the Bulls versus the Pacers, or the Bulls versus the Suns, or the Bulls versus the SuperSonics, or the Bulls versus the Jazz. But Kobe, I've had the entirety of his career on the on the television, and even though I haven't been a fan. This guy, I'm so obsessed with sports, as you know, being a sports psych MD. <laughs> but this guy's been in my life, my entire life, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I was yeah, like nine years old when he when he came into the league and and seeing him throughout the entirety and and almost in a sense growing up around the same time he grew up and and he's doing all these great things and even after basketball, I wasn't even a fan, but it's still it's just such a weird feeling that he's no longer here. And I'm glad we get to talk about him and do this podcast de- dedicated to him. Absolutely, um, man. And what makes an athlete like Kobe Bryant unique? We have a previous episode, number five, in which we talk about what makes an athlete unique. And this podcast today is all about what makes Kobe Bryant, the legendary athlete, unique. And this is his mob of mentality, right? So... The mama mentality is now like this mythical legend. It's, it's like this has this mystique, right? And it's amazing. 
And he used to tell this really cool story about, you know, this snake that's kind of rare, I, I guess, but and, and it's unique in terms of its behavior by comparison to other snakes in that other snakes seem to be postured or kind of wired to be more defensive in terms of when they're, they're willing to attack. So they don't just go after people. Their nature is that when they feel threatened, that's when they attack, you know, some more defensive. This snake certainly would do that if, you know, threatened. But what it would also do is go after people, right? It wasn't just defensive. It wasn't just reacting. It went out and, and would, would Attacked. attack, exactly, even without being provoked and even without any other reason <laughs> than, than winning, than victory, right, than conquering. So this is the, the mindset. This is what Kobe Bryant ultimately wanted to bring to the game of basketball, um, you oh, know, and sure did he, he, and he brought, not only to yeah. the game of basketball, there's, there are individuals in the workplace that embody that mamba mentality that have set these goals and said, I'm going to reach this goal no matter what happens. The standard. Yeah, that's, that means setting up smarter goals like we talked about in episode 21. That means, that means a lot of different things. And you want to talk about what went into all this? Yeah, no, exactly, man. I mean, look, the black mamba is so legendary because we're talking about offensive and defensive, right? Playing both sides, doing all the different things, all the little things that it takes to win. And this is such an intriguing and an interesting subject that we felt like we wanted to kind of take a a peek, just kind of doing a little bit of research, things we could find online and kind of piece together. Um, Not much investigative reporting, but ultimately wanting to kind of like see if we could do a little bit of a psychological analysis of how Kobe's developmental history and the experiences he may have had in his early life and then, of course, the early years of basketball may have shaped his identity of the mama mentality. We We had a whole episode on competitive greatness. He embodies a lot of these different things that we talked about with Mike MJ that killer instinct, being cold-blooded in the clutch. You know his, he's not getting hyper-aroused or his, or his heart rate's not going up too high in, the, he in wants that, it. that no, final he wants 10 it, seconds man. because he's, he expects to take that last shot. That's he expects right. all the pressure. He expects the booze. He was fueled off of booze. He, he loved going into road stadiums and, and silencing those booze. And you remember what happened in Toronto. <sighs> 81, you're talking about 81 <laughs> I'm points. talking about 81. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> he had so many killer moments throughout his career. And but let's let's set the stage. So Kobe Bryant, born in nineteen seventy-eight, the son of an NBA player. That's right. Who actually when Kobe was six years old ended up retiring from the NBA and, and moving to Italy. So Kobe spent his formative school age years growing up in Italy from around six to ten years old. It's amazing, man. Like, that's, that's an experience not many black kids have. I mean, will ever have, yeah. right? Um, but by virtue of his having a father that was a professional athlete, you get to do some pretty cool things like that. Yeah, so he worked out well for me. He's fluent in Italian. He's mm-hmm. actually also fluent in Spanish as well, and then obviously English. He would come back, I guess, to the States over summer to play basketball, and he came back for high school. 
uh, went to high school in Philadelphia, uh, Lower Marion. This is kind of when his story becomes in the spotlight. He's just a stud, high school All-American, he's National Player of the Year. Yeah, he, but but at the same time, though, he was a, a high school player, right? I mean, and this was a day and age where it was still somewhat taboo. Yeah, they had, like, to, I think prohibited it going yeah. straight from high school to league for like 20 years. And then right. the year prior in 1995, Kevin Garnett. He was the first. First yeah. to do it in over 20 years. And then Kobe, this following year, at 17 years old, yeah, with the sunglasses Crazy. on, announces he's taking his talents to the NBA. But what made Kobe different, though, was he was the first like wing player. Yeah, this, you know, this wasn't to, like to a 6'10", Kevin Garnett. This was like a 6'6". Six, six, uh, yeah, he was not. Wing yeah, guy. Wasn't a big and so that that to me was really interesting because I'm like, I mean, you know, he he's not a big body, right? I mean, he's what six six, and he was pretty wiry at that stage, right? So he still did look like a grown man out there, though. Well, he played like a grown man. Yeah, that's, that's what it. was crazy. That's he didn't look like a grown man, but he he played like one, and that was a thing. Like, it's hard to imagine a person having, at 17 years old, a smaller guy, right, not like the big guy on the court, having that type of skill that they were like, this guy should play in the NBA. Like, we haven't seen him at, we have not yet seen him play against college players, yet we know that this guy is ready for the NBA. That's, that's pretty impressive. I mean, the scouts were looking at this guy playing against high schoolers. It's like, he's ready for the pros. Oh, yeah. During the draft process back then, I heard this recently, that they, they would bring in draft prospects to, to play against first-year, second-year, third-year NBA guys. And a lot of the scouts, they brought him in, and he would destroy these second-year NBA guys See, as a 17-year-old high school kid. That's unbelievable. He had some juice because, you know, he took Brandy, the musical uh, R&B singer. <laughs> right. Wait, wait, she's not musical R&B singer. Actress. Yeah. She, no, she's oh, both. She took, oh. She's both. Oh, she, Multi-talented. He, he took her to the prom, the senior prom. So Unreal. He's a stud. Yeah. So this is like, I mean, LeBron took it to the next level, and then you had Zion, even actually Zion went to Duke. But yeah, Kobe was one of the original OG high school to the NBA guys. and But just, I mean, just let's reflect for a moment on all these things that, that we've we've mentioned here. So... Talking about a black kid who's you know grew up in the states, moving around a lot. But then, his dad played the NBA. But then spent some time in his childhood in, in Italy. Not just childhood, six to ten. That yeah. that's a critical formative years, critical age. Yeah, um, for development, that's socialization, right. making friends. And we've talked about this, right? This is where you know you are in sort of that. Con- is it concrete operations? Are we or are we at, we're not quite abstract, right? Yeah, concrete operational. And, and you know, here's the thing. Like, he didn't really carry himself like your, your typical black kid, right? And that's probably because he was very cultured. I mean, he was around, you know, I remember him saying in this interview that he, his parents didn't put him in the American school, right? They put him in just, you know, the regular school with other Italian kids. So he picked up that culture and that language. So, you know, he wasn't going to be like every other black kid. Grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm like, okay, black boy in an Italian school, right? Just trying to figure it out, okay? And then he comes back to the States at 10 years old. 
preteen, right? Fluent in Italian. Fluent in Italian. It's not even like speaking English like that, right? And and you know, you're in that kind of awkward phase anyway. And he's probably bigger than everybody else, you know. And I could imagine him kind of feeling very different, you know, almost like a little bit of an outsider. In Philadelphia. Yeah, back home in Philly, like in well, in both that's what I'm saying, in both circumstances. I mean, in Italy, he's probably one of the few, you know, black American boys, if any other black American boys in his class. Let's and, not forget that he was an only child as well. And he was an only child. Yeah. So we haven't talked quite about like sibling dynamics, but and people make fun of that like, oh, the middle child is usually the forgotten one and the and the youngest is usually the one that's babied the most and coddled the most and the, yeah. the oldest one is usually the, the kind of trailblazer. But there there is some truth to that. And then the, the what about the, the only child? Mm-hmm. You don't have any competition for your parents' affection. Maybe you get spoiled a little bit more, or may or maybe in the same vein, you're the you're the target of all the kind of venom that your parents may or may not have. But growing up an only child definitely can have an influence on your development and how you, who you become as a I think so an adult. I think I think there's there's no doubt about that, and I think the link between some of these experiences you know, seems like they can be quite isolating experiences. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, and and, and so. When you know you isolate yourself, you often will find yourself pouring your your energy into certain things because you don't have a whole lot of distractions, right? So you'll kind of get really focused on on a, on maybe like a certain craft. And he obviously was going to be talented at basketball. I mean, his father was a professional basketball player, and he clearly had the physical gifts. So See, I mean, yeah, beautiful, yeah, and. It, Around those ages, you're looking for acceptance, and obviously, you can. If you don't have any siblings, maybe you feel isolated from your peers because you look different or talk a different language. Basketball is the way to make those connections. So, and and then think think about going 17, and then graduating high school and going directly into the NBA. That was his calling card. Being coworkers with people that are in their late 20s and 30s, and right. I mean, because he comes back. That's isolating too. He comes back to Philly or somewhere in the States, I guess, when he's 10, right? And then from 10 to 14, it sounded to me like he probably was really just trying to to figure it out, like trying to figure out how to be an American kid, you know? And, and then at 14, he's at this high school playing basketball and he's like the best, right? And he's probably now finally really kind of being like embraced by peers and finding something that is a connecting force, you know, between him and others. And so I can imagine him developing a, a real love and passion for, for basketball, right? Because it ultimately at that point would be like a safety net for him, you know, like I said. Um, it's you know, his, his way ticket. to, yeah, his way to connect, his way to, to find that mastery and that competence that we talk about. So he was drafted in 1996, 13th overall, by the Charlotte Hornets. That's right. Who the Lakers had struck a deal with to send Vladi Divac over to the Hornets in exchange for that 13th pick, telling them to draft Kobe. And then they, they were trading Vlade because guess who they wanted to get in free agency? Big old Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal from from my uh, Orlando Magic because I was a huge Penny Hardaway fan. But so they did that. And they put together 
and I, I think Jerry West knew what he was doing. He was the architect. He put together the best duo in the history of the game. Absolutely. And you mentioned Jerry West. I mean, think about this for a minute. Like, you're a 17-year-old kid in Philadelphia. You have the man who is on the logo, the NBA logo, calling your home, telling you that he wants you to join him in Los Angeles, California. Yeah. Who he, he was one of the former players for the best to, franchise to play, in sports. And now play, he's the, to play with the storied Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, that's got to be mind-blowing, right? I mean, just a mind-blowing thing. And no wonder you had a huge ego. I mean, he's 17 years old. He's like, a, he's, like a ch- he's like Bieber. That's definitely positively reinforcing. I mean, you know, it's like, how, how can you not? Well, don't compare him to Bieber. That's disrespectful. Cause how can you Kobe. not? My point is how can you not be feeling yourself? Oh, right? absolutely. That's, I'm not talking about, I mean, obviously, they're completely different. I'm saying in terms of like having that youthful, wild confidence and bravado. And and it's like you loved it. I mean, it was he was so charismatic, you know? Yeah, and so I believe Iverson was drafted number one in that draft, right? That was the mm-hmm. 96 draft. Yeah, it was a hell um, of a draft. Hell of a draft. <laughs> hell of a draft. That Ray was Allen. Crazy. Steve Nash oh, yeah. was in that draft. Marcus Camby. Yeah. Kerry Kittles was selected one pick ahead of uh, Kobe. But that was by the Nets. Kobe did kind of pull like the, the Eli Manning type thing. He's like, if you draft me, I'm going to go play overseas. And that's what he told yeah, the well, Nets. Yeah, he already knew his destiny. Yeah, you know, so he, destined so for LA. he had this... Like, and like we said before, he had this arrogance about him, but it was rooted in his work ethic. He knew that he had something and he was working harder than anyone else. Mm-hmm. Even from day one, he came in this. And obviously when you come onto the scene as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old with this kind of bravado, it rubs some people the wrong way. And that's what you're touching on. He, he comes in this league as this brash, almost egomaniac at a time. But th- over time, people figured out the reason why he had that was because of that work ethic. But... Early on, it was Shaq and Kobe. Mm-hmm. Shaq and Kobe. Oh, that three-peat from 1999 to 2002. Those teams were so dominant. Man, they, yeah, they were dominant. Those teams, so I will tell you this. Um, there were a couple of years in there where, you know, you almost could just kind of felt like it was inevitable, right? Just from day one, it was like Lakers going to win the championship. I mean, it didn't really matter what was going to happen. Especially once they got to the, the finals, man. They steamrolled. Oh. The Nets, the the Pacers, the the Seventy Sixers. Yeah, I just felt like more confident in in their ability to, ability than even like the the Golden State Warriors in their dynasty most recently. You know, I just because they were so dominant, like you said, it was literally like they had the the number one and number two best basketball players in the league on the same team. It was impossible. They, they really did have the top else. two players in the league, and and a lot of people don't necessarily give Kobe the cr- the credit he deserves for those three championships because he had Shaq. Because at that time, Shaq, uh, the most formidable beast of an athlete, dominant individual that we ever seen grace any playing surface. Mm-hmm. Like this guy was unreal yeah. in his prime, and but Kobe was right there with him. Kobe was throwing him those lobs, and he, Shaq would kick it back to Kobe, and it was magical, that combination. 
those teams, and, and they had a great blend of, of those two dynamic forces with the stability of a Derek Fisher, the big shot of Robert Corey, the stability of, of a Rick Fox. and Those teams were just so damn good and so damn dominant because of Kobe, because of Shaq, and they really like each other, though, did they? No, I, I mean, it, you know, because they were both, like, kind of alpha dogs. Like, Big-time alphas, but in different ways. Different ways. Um, so it was kind of a risk to bring them together in the in the first place. You almost kind of would prefer to have more of, like, a you know, Clay Thompson, kind of Steph Curry, KD dynamic, or, you know, maybe like a Pippen-Jordan, where it's like, you know, there's a balance of forces there, um, but you put, you know, Shaq and Kobe together, man, it was just like fire. It was like, yeah. Two yeah. ultra-competitive guys that had different ways of preparing. Yeah, like thunder <laughs> so, and lightning, you yeah. know. And just, we talk about Kobe, that, yeah. that Mamba mentality, even having someone as great as Shaq. And there, I don't know if there was ever a, a basketball player that we've seen as dominant as Shaq was during that stretch. But even Kobe expected more out of him. Even Kobe was fed up with his inability to work as hard as Kobe thought he should work. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the beginning of the split. Kobe's mob of mentality at that time, he got frustrated with Shaq. Shaq became a victim <laughs> of the Mamba. Yeah. Um, so, but, I mean, look, here's the thing. I do remember, I was old enough at that time and I was, you know, I, I, I distinctly remember that I, I don't remember, I don't, the Lakers, you know, the L.A., I mean, they were sad, but they definitely weren't down. When they traded Shaq to the Heat? When they traded Shaq, you know, like, I mean, it was like, they, they you know, they would have been, they would love to have kept him, but they knew what they had. Yeah, and it... And it wasn't pretty those first few years. No. I mean, Shaq got another ring with Dwayne Wade. Yeah. He had his little fun rap song, dissing Kobe. And then Kobe was kind of on his own on the Lakers for a while. Didn't have a whole lot of help. Had that great 81-point game in 2006 against the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. That was him going off and doing his thing, but they weren't really winning a whole lot. Yeah. No. And, and I, I think that the split between Kobe and Shaq took a toll on both of those guys you know, in different ways. I mean, I, I, they, I don't think they really showed it at the time, but, or, or they didn't articulate it. They certainly showed it. They didn't articulate it at the time. I think later on down the road, you know, they sort of acknowledged that it, you know, they regretted it. There was regret. The dynamic you know? they had together was was a powerful force, a winning force. They won yeah. three titles in a row. The Golden mm-hmm. State couldn't even do that. I don't know if we'll ever see that again. So I think, yeah, you're right, as they matured and grew, they, they looked back and like, we had it good. We probably, knowing what we know now, probably could have worked together yeah. as teammates a little bit better. I, I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, their their feud was kind of public and there were public statements made, you know, that kind of got personal. And, and I kind of feel like if that had happened in today's day and age with the way things go viral and the kind of the social media thing that we have now, which didn't really exist the same way back then, that might have been, you know, irreparable, right? Like the Nick Young and D'Angelo Russell feud. I mean, that, you know, it was like much smaller scale. And yet it was no coming back from that because the whole world, you put the the whole, you know, my business on display for the whole world. Whereas their feud was certainly really bad, but obviously they they both went on to have extreme success. Oh, yeah. And and hindsight's 2020. So 
can't go back in time, and, and it, it probably would have played out the same way 10 out of 10 times because um, those are two alphas. Those are two guys that, that want to win, that think they're the best, and, and they're not going to modulate or change change the way they prepare or the way they go about things for someone else because they think their way is the best way. And I think if you played that scenario over 10 times, it would have ended the same way, and they won three championships. So, yeah, fuck, that duo sure was do. amazing. But So, yeah, and you think Kobe growing up as an only child, feeling isolated, going straight from high school to the pros, that can't be conducive to being someone who can easily form social connections. And and he wasn't really trying to be the Robin. Oh, and, He wanted to be Batman. And we talked about win at all costs. Yeah. Um, and sometimes at the um, expense of your teammates. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. But, but look, I mean, he was an only child growing up, right? I mean, you know, I just, I feel like in his mind, deep, deep down inside, he knew there was room for only one. You know, in, yeah. in L.A., one king of L.A. So, oh, yeah. so and, and that was his goal, too. He wanted to be the best Laker of all time. And you're talking about the most storied franchise in sports. You're talking about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, the logo, Jerry West. You got a lot of, like, big names to live up to. But that was his goal. So he went through this kind of rough patch, and then he changed his number from 8 to 24. And I think that he, Mamba mentality was all, always there. Right. And festering, but that's when it came to the surface. It came I think. out, yeah. It was unleashed. So there's one incident we have to talk about because when when talking about an individual, you want to talk about the, the good, the bad, the ugly, because humans are flawed and we all make bad decisions at times, and sometimes horrible, horrible decisions. And in this case, in 2003, there were allegations that Kobe Bryant sexually assaulted or, or raped someone. The charges were eventually dropped, and it was settled in civil court. But but this is obviously something worth mentioning because this is part of his life. And you can read reports online. Uh, we don't have all the details, so we don't want to speculate on that. But it was public. And he went through this, and he was hated for this by the majority of the country. Fans in L.A., people in L.A., they, they still had his back. They stuck and by him. They never left him. Through and through. And he was their guy. And he continued to be their guy, and he he lost a lot of spo- sponsorships. He lost his shoe deal with Adidas, among other things. Um, so he had to rebuild his image. So this was part of the process of him recreating himself without Shaq. He changed his number to eight to twenty-four. It was, it was a resurrection. The Mamba mentality signs a shoe deal with Nike, and slowly but surely, he kind of comes into a second prime, and he's competing for championships again. That's right. Yeah, and, and then he wins back to back. Oh, but before that, he won Olympic gold yes, in Beijing did. in two thousand eight. That's right. And that was the that was one of the times where he he was playing with LeBron for the first go around in the Olympics, and LeBron probably picked up a few tips here and there, and maybe that was the beginning of the socialization of Kobe. Mm-hmm. You know, where he started to maybe, I don't know if softens the right word, but or change his. That's a great point. Yeah, I you know I I never thought of it like that, but um, yeah, I mean maybe it's at that point he realized he needed to in order to elevate himself and to win to reach that ultimate goal of winning, mm-hmm. becoming the greatest Laker of all time. He needed to elevate the play of his teammates, and just so happens yeah. he won a league MVP in two thousand eight, and they made it to the finals, lost to the Celtics, didn't have the, really the best finals, but he comes back the next two years and wins back to back championships yeah man no he was on another level 
during that whole stretch. Making Lamar Odom, Trevor Ariza, Sasa Vujicic, Pau Gasol, making all these guys, elevating their game. And he completely transformed himself and really redirected the trajectory of his career. He now had five championships compared to uh, Shaq's four, right? And then just one short of MJ's six. I know. And so he followed us up. In 2012, he won the Olympic gold in London. And this was his last go-around in the Olympics. And he actually, I think, maybe it was the 2008 Olympics. Yeah, it was 2008 in the gold medal game against Spain. He took over. And he put the team on his back. And he took down the Gasals at that time. Mm -hmm. So that stretch between like 2008 and 2012, that that, that was his moment to prove to himself that he could do it his way without Shaq. Yeah. And he did it. It was, the, it was his masterpiece, right? The Picasso. Yeah. And, you know, the great thing about Kobe, I mean, his body did, you know, betray him perhaps a little early yeah, in he his had career. The Achilles tear in yeah. 2013. Um, but but he, he really, he was able to ride off into the sunset. I mean, he's one of these guys that he... Again, was with the same franchise in the same city. That's unheard of. Twenty years. Twenty years. He was given sort of um, a you know uh, captain's trove. What, what's the term like? Key to the city. He he was. I mean, just the tr- a treasure chest of just whatever he wanted. You know, the, the the contract, right? This sort of like lifetime membership, <laughs> like just you know everything. The, and then that last game, right? Oh, gosh. 60. That was beautiful. They replayed that a couple nights ago. 60 points. You know, it's a beaten, broken, injured Kobe, and he just goes out there. And it's like magic. It's, it's like he's back in his prime all over again, mm-hmm. dropping 60 points in his final game at home in front of his family, his wife, and his, his I think two of his daughters at the time are at the game, and Gianna's one of them, just kind of cheering him on every, all the but way didn't through it. Make it make perfect sense, though? Like, here's this guy that had committed his entire career to excellence, right, and to winning. And unlike many of his predecessors, you know, some of which, you know, who kind of went out in disgrace, uh, I mean, he went out on... The t- on top, you know, like riding off into the sunset like a real true champion yeah. warrior. It wasn't like a John Elway ending, like the no. storybook ending, but for kind of the way it Well, it wasn't a storybook, up. but it was for by his standards, right? I mean, he did something on his last game, right? His last day, his last moment greater than anyone else. Yeah. Right. I think the totality of his career as a Laker, I think, surpasses any and every other Laker just because he was 20 years, same team, two different runs at, at finals championships, and he did it all for the city. And all for the city. And w- what makes Kobe's legacy in these, these moments so special is that he, it wasn't defined by stats, right? He wasn't destined to be the scoring champion. He, he liked um, to get those shots up, though, but that's just because he wanted all of it. He wanted all the smoke. He wanted to go It wasn't going to be defined by championships, 
right? I mean, his unfortunately, his body broke down before he could get you know, number six and number seven. It was going to be defined by moments like the Achilles, right? Where, you know, he just had what would have been for anyone else, right? The most devastating moment of his career, right? A career, potentially career-ending injury. And rather than you know, being carried off into the locker room by the medical staff or, you know, by teammates or whomever, he walked off. This is like 17 okay. years in the league. So. Se- year 17. And he went up before walking off on his own strength. He went to the free throw line, sank two out of two free throws, and then marched off the court because he wanted to, to seal the victory. He wanted to seal the victory for his team because at that time, they were struggling. They were trying to jockey for a playoff spot, and they needed that win. Yeah. So he, he put the team before himself. Whatever it takes. And, and, and it was at the, where most would have been at their worst. Kobe was at his best. Yeah. And Kobe always said, like, if he's playing basketball, he's doing whatever it takes. He's going all out. And he was notable for being that guy that would go play at 100% during the All-Star game, and, and people playing would get upset with him. But when he's playing basketball, he's playing basketball. Mm-hmm. He's going for broke. It's all or nothing. At all, co- win at all costs. So when the, when that Achilles ruptures up into the calf and it hurts and it, nah, he's walking and he's hitting those free throws and he's he's playing basketball. Yeah, he's still it, playing I, basketball. I love that you he brought still that up. has that winning mentality. Yeah. I mean, look, isn't it amazing how this all came full circle for him? Right, like, I mean, at every level. You know, even when the chips were down against all odds, he found a way to rise above. Mm-hmm. And then here we are, end of his basketball career. Most guys go off to pasture. Kobe decided to become a mogul. Yeah, so he took that insane kind of linear focus from basketball, win at all costs, and he, he brought it to different avenues of his life. You've heard players speaking over the last few days that said that he became a changed person when he when he started to have a family, he started having daughters. And he put a lot of he start he began putting a lot of his focus into his family, into his daughters. He created the Mamba Academy for young women to play basketball and he was his daughter Gianna's basketball coach and he was creating this great platform for not only his daughters but young women and people all over the place to to improve upon themselves. And he, like we said before, he won an Academy Award for, for a short animated film. Like, Unbelievable. Like within two years out of retiring, he has his own sports drink. What's the name of his sports drink? Body Armor? You know, I, I saw this crazy stat the other day. Mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant got an Oscar before Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's crazy, right? That's no, not that crazy. Oh, you're shitting on no, Samuel No, I'm saying Samuel's a great actor. I don't know if he's like an Oscar-worthy actor. Yeah, he's had a few. He's had a couple he probably could. I thought he could have won an Oscar in... in uh, Pulp um, Fiction? Yes, that's yeah, yeah. exactly what I had in mind. He's great in that, but he, he does kind of play the same role, and different variation of the same, like, bad, badass motherfucker it, role. You know what? You're right. Yeah, Kobe, just he was still destined for greatness, and it had a lot to do with him turning his passions towards his family and towards other ventures outside the basketball court. 
like we mentioned before, an ambassador for the WNBA. His daughter, who who also passed away, Gianna, she also seemed to be destined for greatness, not only within basketball because she wanted to go to UConn and play for Gino Oriema and wanted to be in the WNBA. And, and Kobe would talk about how she had kind of that beast, that mm-hmm. dog within her like he did. Yeah. So it's, it's sad that we miss out on that as well. Oh, it's so sad. Um, you know, I mean, Kobe was the fabric of this city. He represented all of the values that I think really bind the people that, that live here. The thing that binds people here in LA is this, this idea that you can be greater than where you came from. And this is a, this is a city of transplants. People coming here going after a dream. Yeah. Right. Knowing, that's, what, that's what we are out here. Yeah. Knowing that if, if you work. La La Land, right? Yeah. Knowing that if you work hard enough, if you have that Mamba mentality, that you can achieve greatness, you can achieve your goals. Absolutely. You could win at anything. And that's the beauty about Kobe Bryant. That's, the, that's what we're talking about today. Exactly. That his life, his legacy lives within all within of us all who of feel us. Yeah. maybe a little extra motivated through that mama mentality, knowing that, you know, if, if, I, if I work my ass off and have that focus, I can achieve anything. You have to. And that's going to continue on, not only with You have no other choice. NBA athletes, you hear it at the Super Bowl, you hear it from Neymar, you hear it from Nick Kyrgios, the tennis player, you hear it from all these guys. Mamba mentality, let's go. Mamba mentality, man, like that, and that's what you have to have to make it in LA. LA is tough, right? The world is tough. The world is tough, you know? I mean, you have to have something a little extra special. You have to be able to bring something a little bit more to the table in order to achieve greatness. And most of all, you can't take no for an answer. And, and that's, that's Kobe's legacy. Yep. Yep. All right. So rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. Rest in peace, Black Bamba. Rest in peace, Gianna Bryant. And the seven other individuals who, who passed away in the tragic helicopter crash um, just a few days ago. Appreciating all this, you know, the journey that we've been on. You know, we've been through our ups and been through our downs. I think the most important part is that we all stayed together throughout. You guys will always be in my heart. Thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, God, I love you guys. What can I say? Mamba out. Kobe.